Abba Yahweh, that you would bless any verse in scripture from your truth, your treasury, that you've entrusted to me to share with my brothers and sisters, to help enrich and enliven, uplift, exhort, and if must be through the Holy Spirit's conviction to admonish. But that is what you have given us the Holy Spirit for. Father God, it is not my judgment to pass. My purpose is to share your word, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, and your love, Father God. Lord Jesus, my King, my Lord. Abba Yahweh, Haman, Yeshua, Haman, Paracletos, Haman. Brothers and sisters, so um, I'm up a little bit uh, getting ready to take off and go to church. And I want to, um, the Holy Spirit has stirred me up <laughs> this morning and had some things running through my head and and uh, then brought me out to the Word and to share this short bit with you but of course you've already learned if you've been listening to God's podcast that he allows to take place and using me that when it comes to the word of God yes I can be verbose and for those that you of you that are not aware of what that means and also I've shared this with you before Ignorance is just a lack of knowledge. It has nothing to do with being stupid. So when people try to use those two terms synonymously, or they get all twisted and their knickers get in a bunch because somebody calls them ignorant and they believe that they're calling them stupid. No, not so. So because you are uh, ignorant of some things, it doesn't make you stupid. It just makes you have a lack of knowledge. That's all that means. So whatever anybody else has been telling you, not true. But I come to the word because it's full of God's knowledge and his wisdom and his truth. And I come up to get ready to go to church, to go over and fellowship because that's what we're called to do. And I love this. I I have absolutely fallen in love with two very important scriptures in Hebrew. One, of course, being in chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So, Here's the thing that I want to share with you about that first is that unlike things that are done in the world of mammon, like your car mechanic and other such things that everybody just seems to have such great faith in being able to put into individuals like that, man or woman, mechanics, uh, reparations and all, the only proof 
that you have that it was done without physically looking at it. And and as a homeowner, an automobile owner, whatever, you should take a look and make sure that things have been done and replaced, as they say. But basically, what we go through life with is, is a bill. You get handed a bill and you pay the bill. But what evidence is there that anything was done? Yeah, okay, the car runs a little better for a short while, and then you start having the same problem. And I've had friends, and I even had an automobile that I took to um, a dealership. <laughs> My friend's uh, experience was much worse and, and greater length of time and um, convincing them that they should do something otherwise, but they didn't want to because they liked going to the dealership because they were the ones who um, built and distributed and sold the car. But the problem was that they weren't doing anything. And the shop manager only believed what his technician was telling him, but that little twerp wasn't doing a doggone thing. He was just going in there and basically spending time under the hood and billing the company for work that he was not doing and turning around and writing up the work order and going in. And the same issue was repeating. It was like that a really bad groundhog day and couldn't get out of it. And finally went to another mechanic that was not a dealership mechanic, one that I had suggested. I'll pat myself on the back for that one. But this fellow was a really, really honest, ran an honest shop. I'd, I'd been dealing with a guy, oh my goodness, somebody suggested I go. And I went, and from the very first time, and then when we found out that we were both in the Marine Corps, oh, then it was done. We were both in the Marine Corps, then it was done. It was just, I would go in way early ahead of my appointment, just park out there and go in because he always had his coffee machine on and had coffee in the back room. I'm a coffee drinker. And, uh, but a very honest man. And then the result was going in and checking was he found that what had been on the work order and paid for and trusted was done had not been done. And then come to find out that it had, it wasn't being done any of those times. And then finally that technician, a young millennial type individual, of course, they weren't calling him that then, but this is, he didn't care anything about the job, didn't respect anybody. All she was there for doing is to collect a paycheck and didn't care, could care less about whether he was getting anything done or not. Had no integrity. So my faith, is the substance that we are indeed through this word, the truth, the knowledge and wisdom of Lord God Almighty. And, and I have seen and studied through this word and going back in history and seeing, comparing and finding things that are so evident. And I have found empirical evidence from our world that enforces, reinforces what God has said in the Bible. And it strengthens my faith that we are going to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, Abba, Yahweh, Holy Spirit, our loved ones, 
And we are going to spend that time as the truth tells us we are. And my faith tells me that. And then my faith also is the evidence I don't see God. I haven't seen God. I've heard him. I hear him all the time. He talks to me quite often, actually, through the Holy Spirit and the Word. And whether he talks to me with a voice, which I have heard before, or he points out a scripture, a particular scripture. Let me tell you, with the things that I've shared with you that I've been going through with the enemy trying to knock me off my walk, and then I get stirring and I pick up and I go to my daily reader And oh my gosh, it's exactly what I needed to hear. What I needed to hear, what I was being, what I was looking to hear. Bam, God gives it to me. And three days in a row, whatever that might mean, and it could mean something, could have some significance. I don't know. I haven't seen evidence of that yet. But three times in a row, God gave me exactly what I was needing to hear from him and see in writing that it was there and clear. And God delivered that. God speaks to us in many different ways. But the important thing, brothers and sisters, is to have your spiritual eyes open and your spiritual ears open and lean into God. If you don't, then you will be like the Pharisees and the members of the Sanhedrin, hearing and not understanding, reading and have no clarity. And Jesus spoke truth to them and they didn't get it. He spoke truth to them and they crucified him because of their arrogance, closed-mindedness, and hardened hearts. Nicodemus was the only one. He was an elder He was a rabbi, a chief rabbi, head, you know, up there pretty high. But he was questioning things that were outside the realm of what they had been reading and what they were taught. And, oh my gosh, he was, uh, if they had found out, if his wife had snitched him off, he would have been out, or they might have even tried to stone him for crying out loud because he questioned what was written in the book and the five scrolls of Moses in the and the five parts of the Torah. And those first five scrolls are what Moses penned up and, and the law and everything else that they study and read is around the law. And it must be according to the law. Well, Jesus came... And he was trying to get them to understand that God wanted things to be different. He didn't want it to be by that way. He wanted the world to be be saved and have the chance to be saved and redeemed. Because why? Because God so loved the world. They didn't understand it. It was cut and dried. If you did this, you had to be stoned. If you said that, you were stoned. Oh, don't touch them because then you're unclean. And this is kind of an argument that Paul and Peter had together because Peter was saying one thing, but he was acting a different way. Paul confronted him on that and persuaded him. And then he was compelled to change. I'm going to get into that in a minute. 
And here's the other verse in Hebrews that's very important. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Provocation. People can be provoked into anger. They can be provoked into goodness. And it doesn't mean that somebody is standing over them with a club and beating them into submission for that. It just means that by word of mouth or by lesson or teaching that they're urged to do the right thing. There's a conviction that comes from their heart because the Holy Spirit's reach in there, grab the heart and start squeezing on it. And then that love juice sort of comes out into the rest of your system. But that's what we're to do. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, Paul was writing about that then. Brothers and sisters, I am seeing now, looking around what's going on in the world, the day is fastly approaching. Not sure when. Like the song, and I, I love this, I'm, <laughs> I was tempted to sing it for you, but I, I think I'm just, I'm going to recite the words because as I'm getting older, my vocal cords are not what they used to be. Just kind of stretched out. Believe it or not, I used to sing the falsetto part, you know, like that Frankie Valley, and he used to get up that high squeaky stuff. I used to sing that part. I was in a, a couple uh, youth group singing groups, and, and that was me back in the day, as the saying goes. But not forsaking assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it saddens me deeply that there are members of churches and in my church that I love dearly, I, I see there are those that are that way. They don't come to any of the other things. I mean, I mean, I, I have a strong desire to be there for a lot of other things and try to get to whatever I can be. But my work schedule is just um, such as it is. But whenever I have an opportunity, I want to be around and fellowship because God created us to, to be a gathering people, to be a, a big family reunion as often as we can, except that the enemy is jealous of what God is offering because he has been there. He forsook what he had and was cast out of heaven because he tried to seize it and take it, but he already had it. That's the whole silliness behind that, is that his arrogance and pride drove him to take what he already had and what angers him so much towards us. And brothers and sisters, the drive that he has to keep us from attaining that is because God is giving it to us free, except that it wasn't free. It was paid in full by Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross because he came and tried to persuade those others through the speaking of truth and they denied the truth. Can't be so. Because the written law that Moses was given by God, it, saw, it was written in stone, as the saying goes, but that's where they get that from. 
from the Ten Commandments that God penned on the tablets of stone and gave to Moses, who later smashed them to pieces because he was irritated because the children of Israel building out because he was up talking at God and they got all upset because he was a day late in coming off the mountains and built the golden Nile, a golden cap. And then they were doing all sorts of stuff they shouldn't have been doing. The point being brothers and sisters that we need to be in the truth, the word, And it is, in effect, a law that God has given to us, but not so much in the sense that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrins were looking at it, but it's our guidebook, our manual. And yet there are those members in the church body who don't have any compulsion to get out and go to church. They don't want to come together. And when they come together, like I said, I've shared this with you before. They're walking around with their heads looking down at the ground, their shoulders all hunched over, and they, they're, they're not even really walking. I guess you can call it walking, but they're more shuffling their feet. And it's, it's a pathetic thing to Yeah, I'll use that word. It's pathetic to see them that way. There are those that have physical ailment and are not able, but you can tell the difference. I can tell the difference. But when you see a self-inflicted and self-afflicted individual in the body of Christ, where we're coming to his house to worship and glorify the maker of all things made, the ancient of days, the first and the last, the alpha and omega, the author and the finisher, or we're coming to glorify and magnify his name, because why? Because mighty is his name, and he is praiseworthy. He made all these things, but the thing of it is you can look around and see God in so many things, but these folks are deplorable. But I'm going back to one of my now favorite books, and I call it Our Adoption Letter. Actually, I wrote in the sidebar over here, My Adoption Letter, and a lot of things I will say about me because it just makes it quite a bit personal. And actually, you every person can say that. They can say, my adoption letter, my Bible, my word from God. That's okay and acceptable. But here's the thing, that God is so full of all these virtues and full of so much love that he can walk with me and talk with me and tell me that I am his own. but then he can walk beside each one of you and tell you the very same thing. And it won't be any different or any less because he's so full of love for each one of us. And he can do that because that is his character. But as I was saying, this this thing is very important. And then we're going to get over to the sidebar that I have. I know not when my Lord may come at night or noonday fair. I know not if I'll lay me down or he'll rise me up to meet him in the air. 
but I know in whom I believe and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That was just a song, but I love that song. I love that song even as a kid. I like that song. There was another one that I absolutely fell on, and I used to cry just to, to hear it. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. But he died alone on Calvary. He could have called 10,000 angels, could have said, Father, I, I can't go through this. I love, I love you and I love this world, but I, I, can't, I can't do this. And do you know that if he had done that, that God would have reversed everything that he planned, that so much love because that's part of him, that's his son, that he would have sent those angels to set Jesus Christ free and destroy the world as was known at that time. Would have been done. And then chances are that another flood would have come or something would have happened. And we would not have the opportunity to be about our father's business, which is what we are called to do, brothers and sisters, to be about our father's business. But here, yeah, we'll do a little Sean Connery here. Here begins the lesson. Sorry, couldn't resist. I was a, I love his character in The Untouchables. He was a great actor. Anyway, I looked up some things, very interesting things, and I think it helps, help me to understand a little thing, some of the passages, and it may help you as well. Compelled. One of the definitions, secured or brought about by force. Forced or driven to a particular course of action, often by an irresistible internal urge. Why do I mention that? Because when the lion of the tribe of Judah comes back, as he promised he would, and those that fail to believe that he is the only begotten son, and they fail to have their faith in God, the creator of all things, and they fail to do all that, but yet they recognize the church of Satan and all the worldly turmoil and all that, the hatred and derision and all these things that so many are driven into and accept as the way of life. That's just the way it is with their complacent attitude when he does come and they see the truth and reality and the angelic hosts are around them and they're on their knees, but it's going to be a combination, I think, of things. Those who are really heavily resistant and are armed against them, because let me share this with you, brothers and sisters. When the time comes, there are going to be those um, of mammon that will turn and they will lift arms and raise arms to be fighting against 
fighting against the Lord Jesus. And when those that have been taken to rise with him will come back and basically they're going to be witnesses. They're not going to be clothed as for battle. They're just going to watch Jesus by virtue of his voice and his command and his authority that the enemy and his followers will be, they'll be destroyed. Their, their military might, it will be abolished. And they are going to be compelled and driven to their knees. And those that decided to follow and didn't take up arms, that refused Jesus Christ's authority and belief in the only begotten Son of Lord God Almighty, they will be compelled by that internal urge to also fall on their knees, bow their head, and know that he is Lord Jesus Christ, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of the hosts of heaven, the only begotten Son of God. They will be compelled because they will witness and they will see and then they will have to confess by their tongue that very thing which many of us, and I pray so many more, will accept and believe that he is the only begotten Son of God and that their faith in God will reinforce those things that are not seen here now, but looking around through all of these things in nature and looking and seeing. I have that compulsion in me. I'm persuaded. I am persuaded by virtue of the fact that I just can see this. And there's another word now that we're on to that. And wasn't that pretty good how I segued into that? So persuasion is a deep conviction or belief a form or system of belief. Yes, I am of the Christian persuasion, but more of a discipleship persuasion because I am learning all the time. That's what a disciple is. It just means that following that discipline, and sometimes I'm not as disciplined as I would like to be or should be or as disciplined as I believe I should be because I fall. But in falling, I have also learned and been told in the word of God that all you do is you get up and you dust off your knees and you stand up and you look up and say, Abba, I'm sorry. I, I tripped again. And he looks down and he takes each one of our cheeks in his hands and he looks deep into your eyes. And with a grin on his face, he says, I forgive you, my child. I love you. I so love you. And then just warmth and overwhelmed and what are you going to do? <laughs> so I say that because of what I shared with you before. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What does that mean? That means that I am deeply convicted by virtue of everything that I've seen around. That's another, we'll get to that in a minute. But by looking around and seeing all these things, what do you commit to Jesus? What do you commit to the Lord God Almighty? I committed this thing that I, I had going on at work and it, it didn't happen. But the thing of it is that I'm not troubled by it. Now, the enemy tried to get me all jacked up about it and disturbed about it and twisted around about it. And it was working a little bit. And, but then I rebuked that and I said, no. That is not how it is because I laid it at the altar and I spoke to my father and I said, Father, 
this would be a good thing. You know it is. You've already seen it. But if you have me where I am for a reason or for a season, and it's your, it'll be your decision. And it is your will be done. And it didn't work out exactly. But here's the thing. That in God's timing, it's perfect time. And our want and our desire and drive, and that's all it is. It's not really a need. It's just a want. Many things that we think we need are just wants. God knows what we need. And he saw that at this particular point in time, I didn't need to be what I was looking at. It was a pseudo promotional deal. But I'm perfectly okay with it. Perfectly okay with it. Because what is better is like, not like it. It it did happen last night. I had a young man came and just, it was just the two of us. And he just started sharing with me that he feels so good because he's been praying. He's gotten out of his addiction and he's been going to see his wife got hit by a car. She's in the hospital. Um, and he'd been riding his bike in the rain. And, and no matter what, he was riding his bike when he got the opportunity to go from where they were staying all the way down to the hospital where she was staying for this time in recovery. So he was riding his bike and he says, I'm out of addiction, all these things, so I can be good for my wife. Recognize that what he was doing was not right and what he needed to do was right. And he was so pleased with that. And then we got to talking about God and sharing and he's learning to read the Bible. He's getting into it. And we also had an opportunity to share. And I told him, I said, don't get discouraged and don't be dismayed. And then of course we went into It's a Wonderful Life because a lot of people think that that's just a cutesy movie and a nice, warm, fuzzy thing, but that people are, are missing, I think, the point that that, that whole narrative that, that God and Clarence were having at the beginning of the film and then up to the point on the bridge. And for those of you, of you that have never seen or never heard of it, um, God is and, and Clarence the angel were having a conversation and um, Clarence was being sent down to help George Bailey. And when he said, oh, I'm going down to, to make him better, he, he's sick. And God said, oh, no. Oh, no, it's, it's much worse. He's discouraged. Well, that's true, brother and sister. Discouragement drives you to do things that you would not normally do. George Bailey was a good family man, but because of, of some terrible, despicable, crooked thing that happened to some, by some scoundrel, he was going to throw himself off a bridge and commit suicide. But because God and Claire, God gave the angel the ability to be able to see what was in his heart, he knew that, that George was a good man. And he knew that if he jumped in the river in the guise of his human form, that George would jump in to save him and not think about committing suicide. And that's exactly what he did. And George Bailey did not commit suicide, which he went to the bridge out in the middle of a, a winter snowstorm to do, was going to commit suicide because he was so discouraged. And I've shared with you, brothers and sisters, that I was so discouraged that I was going to drive an 18-wheeler truck off the Oakland Bay Bridge in the middle of the night one night because I'd become so despondent and so discouraged and was going to do that very thing. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It was as if there was somebody 
not as if there was somebody in that truck with me because I heard the voice said to me, what about your grandchildren? Hadn't even been born yet or were not old enough. I I hadn't seen them. So they are... Or they weren't, uh, they weren't, uh, my, my sons were, were not old enough to have children yet, is what I meant to, to illustrate. I, I'm sorry, I became a little emotionally tied up there. My, my children were not old enough to be married and have their own children yet. Not even out of elementary school, actually. And then that voice said, what about your grandchildren? Man, you talk about a slap in the face and wake up. Hello? I snapped out of that and turned everything around. Didn't, wasn't walking with God as I should be, but I I didn't drive that 18-wheeler truck. And it would have happened very easily. I, I mean, there were, I know how to drive those trucks. Been doing it for a long time. I would have got over that little tiny curb that is supposedly some kind of a stopping thing in the middle of the bridge. I would have got over that. And you think that steel guardrail would have stopped me if I shifted gears and got that 18-wheeler with, uh, what was I taking at that time, 78,200 and some odd pounds? I even remember what the weight of the truck was on that trip. I could have got it through that guardrail and then plummeted 300-plus feet straight down into the ocean and then that weight of the trailer would have just driven me into the ocean. It would have been a snap of a finger and a done deal. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit spoke to me about something that was seen by God, which God is able to do, and persuaded me not to do that thing. Took me out of my discouragement. George Bailey was taken out of the discouragement. Discouragement will drive you to do some terrible things and there are men and women out here now that are committing atrocious egregious actions against one another and why because they're discouraged and why because mammon cannot give them an answer they try to convince them that they have an answer but they don't the reality is the truth is that they do not but yet they're believing the narrative and the negative and the lies that are being perpetrated. They're not looking for truth. And then when they don't get that thing that they're promised, then it drives them deeper into discouragement. And families are split up. This is the drive of the enemy, to split up the family, to split everything that God has designed to be together. He wants a part. So my persuasion, my deep conviction that puts me in this system and belief is that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God Almighty who is a creator of all things and I have seen and understand and witnessed. So my faith tells me that it's true. My deep persuasion. And then I'm compelled by that irresistible internal urge that I have that is the Holy Spirit, that no matter what I'm doing or no matter what I have done, I am redeemed and I am a son of God. 
And then virtue. Let's talk about virtue. Several definitions. Moral, excellent, goodness, righteousness. Conformity of one's life and conduct to a moral and ethical principle. Uprightness. Jesus Christ. All of those. All of the above. A particular moral excellence. Effective force, power, or potency. So I bring that up because I want to talk about that woman that came and touched Jesus because she had that milady that was had been with her for years and years and years and, and the throngs were pushing around Jesus Christ. And then he said, and he turned and he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, what? What are you asking that for? So many people are touching you. But here's the import of why Jesus said that. is because that woman believed in her heart of heart. She was persuaded that compelled her to do what she did. And she went down in the midst of that crowd, falling on her hands and knees and crawled up to Jesus and grabbed the hem of his garment because she believed, her faith told her, if I merely touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she did that thing. And she was healed because then Jesus Christ turned around and helped her up off the ground. And then she felt the shame because she had snuck in there to do that. And Jesus Christ, I could just see the whole thing now. It doesn't tell us this specifically in the scriptures, but I can just see him sort of like my, my dad used to do. And if I was really sad or hurt, he kind of, I don't know how you would describe, but he, he sort of, his forefinger underneath my chin and his, the end of his thumb against my chin, and he just sort of nudged my head so I lifted it up and looked at him. And Jesus did that to her. And he lifted her head and he looked her in the eyes and she said, oh Lord, I am sorry. And he said, you have nothing to be sorry about. Your faith has made you whole. And when Jesus said, who touched me, the disciples didn't get it and he had to explain it to them and he didn't wholly explain it to them. But he felt virtue leave his body and go into her body. That's why he said, who touched me? They weren't all just bumping and tussling and going into him, but the virtue that left his body and went into hers was what he felt. Because it was a healing force. Her faith drew that from him and left him willingly as he did when he healed so many people and he put his hands on them and he sent virtue into them from himself. So he, he did that thing. And can you just try to imagine if you can, brothers and sisters, and then I, I have to be off the church. Um, I have to go gather, as I'm meant to do. Sorry, I just go that way. <laughs> um, brothers and sisters, that's, that's what Jesus Christ is about. Uprightness, his holiness, his ethical, moral, whatever you want to use to describe it that we put words to here, but that's what it is. It's virtue. 
we can each obtain that. I mean, we will not be perfect because the word says until he who is perfect has come, there is no perfect thing in this broken world, which there is not. And there, and there won't be until he comes back. And won't be until we're transfigured and, and we are like him, which is happening because the word of God tells us that it will be that way. So now I will close with this idea and thought again. And I've shared it with you before. God has made all of us the way that we are. The skin tone, coloration, and rather than being derisive and angry and hateful and spiteful, and it's this, this, it's this way of thinking that makes me a fat body. It's this way of thinking that makes me an angry person. It's this way. It's not my fault. Oh my gosh. Get over yourself and your uh, arrogance and your total self-awareness. Be aware of everyone else and make yourself a servant to them as the word calls us to do. Think less of self and more of selfless. Jesus came not to be served as the king, but he came as a sacrifice to serve. He lowered himself. And when he got down to wash his disciples' feet, and then, of course, Peter jumped right up and said, no, 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 you can't do this. You're, the, you're, the, you're Jesus Christ. You're the Messiah. And then Jesus had to rebuke him. If you don't let me do this, you have no part in me. Peter's way of life certainly changed after denying Jesus Christ three times after saying that he would never and then wanting him not to wash his feet which I can kind of see that but in, in firmly rebuking Christ how are you going to do that this is your teacher and your the love that you claim to be the love of your life or want to be the love of your life, but in learning to be that as well. But brothers and sisters, there's so much hatred and separation and derisiveness and things that are going on, and people are willing to believe the lie. And remember this, false evidence appearing real. It's the anagram that comes from the, the word fear, and fear is a pseudonym of Satan, the enemy, the liar, the accuser, the condemner. That's what he does. Everything negative, opposite of what God makes as truth and positivity for us. He tries to drive us into darkness. And why? Because his drive is to separate us from God like he separated himself from God by doing what he did and got tossed. Or as they say in certain parts of the world, he got 86 from heaven. Sorry, making light. Trying to. But um, yeah, he got tossed out. And he doesn't want us to have what he had. Arrogance, pride, and self. Still all about self. And he wants company. And then there are those that will say, well, how could God make hell so, you know, like it didn't so they did put all these people? That's not what hell was for, brothers and sisters. Hell was 
put for the serpent and his follower. Period. That was it. However, reconstruction, remodeling, expansion, because of those that refuse and are not persuaded that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God and do not have faith in God and decide to die in their sin and be per- and perish, not just die, but they perish, and decide to spend their eternal life in hell rather than in heaven with their loved ones, and they're going to be there. So there's expansion and remodeling that's going on. And you say, well... What is it? Well, you have to understand, brothers and sisters, there are so many things that are going on in the spiritual realm that we do not see. And we don't see them for a reason. And that reason is because much of it is very, very frightening. But here's the truth. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. Be not discouraged. Why? Because through the word of God, from the beginning through to the end, God promises not to leave or forsake us. I've shared with you the difference. Leaving is just got to go. Like on a first date or whatever, you don't really want to leave and, you know, you kind of linger around the door and, but then you just leave. But then you see each other at school the next day or wherever, at work or wherever, whatever, however. But forsaking is to take someone in the midst of something and then you look around and seeing all the tumult and that it might not be a good place for you to stay, boom, turn and leave. And then the other person's looking around going, hey, Ray, Bob, John, Jane, Judy, where'd you get? And they look and boop, disappeared. Ghost, invisible. That's forsaking. And then that person is left in the midst of whatever's going on. And then shots fired. Here you come. Everything's going on around. God promised that he will not leave or forsake us. We, on the other hand, do that quite often. God didn't do it my way or when I wanted to. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pray to him anymore. I'm not gonna go to church anymore. Ha! I'll just do it on my own. I'll do it by myself. I can make myself really arrogance and pride. That was the fall of Satan and the third that he convinced to follow him. That same thing. Brothers and sisters. Be not so prideful, be not so mindful of self, but be mindful of other people. Love one another, pray for one another, lift other people up. And remember this too, and I was thinking about this the other day, and I catch myself sometimes getting like this, and I really, I immediately start going into prayer because the enemy tries to get me to do this. Special needs folks, I run into a lot of them every single day at work run across them they require and the the word the word tells us i'll find this specific chapter and verse but they require a special attention 
from us. And why is that? Because they need it. God provides something extra for them. What if you are that something extra? Ah, and this is what the Holy Spirit tells me. What if I'm that something extra? Don't get impatient with them. Give them more effort, time, and patience. Don't sit there and look at your watch and, you know, and, and there's a difference. When you get some, and I run into it often, there's some that are all absorbed in self and all them. Then I kind of urge them a little bit, not angrily, but I kind of urge them and remind them that there's a lot of other people waiting on me and now we are all together waiting on them. But when these special people come on with me, not to be short and that way with them because they need a little bit of extra guidance. They need a little bit of extra time. They need something special. And again, brothers and sisters, let me reinforce what I said. They need something extra and they need something special. God provides for them. And what if you are that something extra and that something special that God intended for them to meet. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Have a blessed day. I encourage you to be in the word. Seek his face in all things. And brothers and sisters, if you haven't taken the opportunity to do so now and you're, you're listening to these words the first time, it doesn't take any great fanfare or any great thing, but it works differently if you can have someone that you trust or with you that you know is is mindful of the father god and and prayerful and worshipful that they pray with you that's a nice thing that's a a good thing that's extra but all you have to do is believe say god father god i believe that jesus christ is your only begotten son and that he did set down his crown and come to this earth and sacrifice himself so that I can be saved and others like me can be saved and we can spend eternity in heaven together. And I will have faith in you, Father, that you will carry me through and send the Holy Spirit to teach me and guide me. God will do so all you have to do is believe and have faith. And that's only the, that's a nominal thing. God gives us everything else, provides our needs, not our wants. And all he asks us to do is believe that Christ came and died for us and that he is his only begotten son and to have faith in him. That's all he asks. Brothers and sisters, you have a great day, a blessed day, a worshipful day, a prayer-filled day, and today is a day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And again, here's my verbosity. Started in the Word. Not my intent, but it went off that way. <laughs> you have a blessed day, brothers and sisters. You are in my prayers and my going out my coming in.